This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Consider a career with the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers. As a Boilermaker apprentice, you'll earn while you learn. We offer excellent wages and benefits. And as part of our no-cost, hands-on apprenticeship program, you'll learn from the best in state-of-the-art training centers and on the job. Become a union Boilermaker and get on your way to a great career. Visit Boilermakers.org or call 844-IBB-WELD. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this, too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. We welcome all of our viewers and all of our listeners uh, tuning in, Jay Doc, another great show lined up for us. And, you know, sometimes I think the audience w- will question me when I say great show, but uh, I've got to commend you on our guest lineup every week um, has been fantastic. Uh, and the information that is being provided to our viewers and to our listeners across the Jacob Network here on the Labor and Energy Show is really spectacular. Yeah, and Joe, I appreciate that. Shout out to, to, to Brendan Williams of PBF Energy for being a big part of, 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 of the guests we bring on the program. It's interesting that you say that, you know, a lot of, you know, so we have a mixture. We have uh, on the East Coast guests. And today we have a, a, an awesome show. Uh, we, we were able to spotlight uh, the top labor and energy uh, uh, leaders in the country. And 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 uh, so today is going to be a, a show with, with, with guests that are, um, you know, th- their issues are, are, are broad. It's a national show. Uh, we have Ryan Sistad, executive director, Better in Our Backyard. That's the name of the organization. Uh, awesome organization. And then we're going to have Pete Holran, director, government relations, U.S. at uh, Enbridge Energy. So that's the talk. And before we do, though, Joe, uh, I, we, we have, you know, you mentioned, uh, obviously, the great guests we've had and, and um, with our Energy Education and Awareness Board um, you know, we also have great energy and and uh, and labor guests, and I want to I want to um, make an announcement. Okay, um, certainly, uh, you know, so our board is growing, our board of directors is growing, uh, and 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 certainly um, this is no exception. It's a big one, and we're really ecstatic to to welcome uh, Chet Thompson, president and CEO of American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers (AFPM) onto the Energy Education and Awareness. Council, that's our board of directors uh, of Advocacy United, and um, you know, as, as president and CEO uh, of AFPM, Chet, Chet leads a, a staff that advocates for petroleum refiners and petrochemical manufacturers before Congress, 
and the executive branch on a broad range of public issues. Uh, Chet, uh, we're so ecstatic. Uh, he gave us a quote. I want to read the quote uh, because it's really relevant, uh, and, and we're ecstatic to have him on the board. And he was on the broadcast at least a couple times. Uh, Jobs in our industry, the products that we make, and the energy security we deliver in our communities and throughout the United States are all worth protecting. AFPM is proud to join the board of the Energy Education and Awareness Initiative. With California's ban on gasoline and diesel vehicles, and by extension, American-made liquid fuels becoming the template for President Biden's EPA and other states, this initiative is needed now more than ever. Our policymakers, especially those who represent refinery and petrochemical workers and facilities, need to know what our industries provide and what's at stake. Chet Thompson, president and CEO, American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. Uh, our entire uh, Energy Education Awareness uh, Council welcomes Chet uh, to the board, and we're ecstatic to have him. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And as we move through the month of August and then get ready to transition in on the other side of Labor Day, we've got a great fall slash uh, end of fourth quarter 23 campaign where we are going to stay true to our belief that we can change the narrative through education. And we're going to do that. Uh, listen, uh, I couldn't be <clears throat> more fortunate, and, and you as well, Joe, to have the who's who in energy uh, and labor on our broadcasts. We had the uh, Boilermaker special. That's a major energy sector union. And, and the one theme, it's, you know, it's common sense and energy. And the fact that we need to work, we got renewables coming into the market, lots of great stuff, but we need to work together for the benefit of our nation and the world. And, and as Chet Thompson said, our communities, uh, to protect our energy security and obviously to impact the environment. Because the one thing that's a common denominator with our labor and energy leaders is everybody is passionate about the environment and, and, and doing everything we can to, to, to make it a carbon-free environment and doing it the right way. We'll get started on the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. One reminder for all of our listeners and all of our viewers on today's program, if you miss any of the program, you can uh, download the podcast of the program on Apple or Spotify. Just search the Labor and Energy Show. We'll get started on the other side of the break. This is the Labor and Energy Show with Jadok and Krause back in a moment. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. Neuter Integrated Multicraft Contractors has been a force since 1896. That's right, 1896. And specializes in welding, piping, mechanical, structural, constructability reviews, project management, and rigging design services. For a free consultation, call Neuter at 314-421-7600. Neuter proudly serves petroleum refining, chemical processing, power generation, and alternative energy. Get in touch with Neuter at 314-421-7600. The East 
Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EASCarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters. Buying a car is a big decision. Makes, models, colors, cost. But soon enough, the government is going to make that decision for you. Delaware and New Jersey are on a collision course to ban the sale of new gas-powered cars. In 2035, you'll have no choice but to buy an electric vehicle in those states. Tell Governor Carney and Governor Murphy to stop the EV mandate and let drivers decide. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause on the Jacob Media Network. We've got a great show. I'm ecstatic to bring into the program Ryan Sistat, Executive Director at Better in Our Backyard. Ryan, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for having me. Love the American flag right behind you, my friend. I'll appreciate that. Yeah, no, thank you. Our pleasure. And, and Ryan, if you would, okay, so we spend a lot of time talking about the energy needs of the, and the opportunities on the East Coast, as well as around the country. Like I mentioned in our intro, uh, today we're going to spend some time on, on uh, energy projects and policies impacting our Midwestern American energy and jobs. Okay, um, if you would uh, introduce yourself and your organization to our listeners. Uh, and, and and certainly, Better in, I mentioned to you earlier, Better in Our Backyard. What a great name uh, for an organization. Uh, talk to our listeners. Yeah, so thank you, Joe. My name is Ryan Sisted. I'm the Executive Director of Better in Our Backyard. And, and our mission is to promote responsible industrial development, uh, both in Northern Minnesota and throughout uh, the upper Midwest. And, and the name was actually, came up uh, from a, a colleague of mine here in Duluth, Minnesota, um, after she gave an impassioned speech to the local city council uh, in Duluth um, over a proposed copper nickel mining project in northeastern Minnesota. So Benner Backyard was founded roughly five or six years ago, and, the, and it was founded by um, um, basically some young professionals in the area that wanted to promote responsible industrial development in northeastern Minnesota and some of the projects that are uh, happening here. And since then, we've evolved. We've, we've grown into Michigan and Wisconsin and um, we're still continuing to grow um, our following uh, each and every day. So we started out as a company that was mainly or an organization that was advocating for proposed mining projects in northeastern Minnesota. Now we also uh, do work for uh, some companies in the oil and gas sector. So having said that, um, and you have a great mixture of, in a lot of sense, like we said at the beginning of the show, like our board of directors with the Energy Education and Awareness Initiative, um, you know, labor and energy leadership. And, and so there's a lot of synergy there. Um, let's start with the pipeline projects, okay? And Enbridge will be on later to talk about the latest with the Line 5. Um, so I don't want to spend too much time on that, but you guys also supported the replacement of a pipeline called Line 3. Can you provide some background on that project and uh, you know, why was it necessary and, and, and uh, talk about the jobs it provided, if you will? Yeah, well, first of all, it was a replacement project. So it was um, basically replacing an old existing degrading 
uh, pipeline. And it's a pipeline that runs from Edmonton, Alberta, all the way to Superior, Wisconsin. Um, and it's Minnesota's most studied pipeline project in Minnesota's history. I believe it was in the permitting process uh, for just over six years. Um, and during that time, during the construction of line three, which took a, took a little bit longer, a little bit over a year, there was over $5 billion in new spending. And between over a six-year period between 2017 and 2023, on average, there was roughly 4,500 individuals or professionals that were uh, positively impacted with jobs uh, during that time frame. And at its peak in construction, it uh, supplemented uh, nearly 15,000 jobs, uh, from my understanding. So it was a huge economic benefit to northern Minnesota. Um, and you look at some of the communities, I was born in one of them, uh, Foston, Minnesota, um, when you're building, when you have $5 billion of new spending going throughout northern Minnesota and through rural communities, that, that has a huge impact. So a lot of local small businesses and and obviously many crafts in the union building trades really benefited from the project. And at the same token too, um, we got new, we have a brand new pipeline that's uh, providing the safest way to transport crude oil for everyday energy needs. And so having said that, a replacement project is basically an upgrade Yes, our listeners of an existing uh, pipeline, okay, to make it safer, to make it more efficient, uh, you know, for you know, for the process and 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 the communities, um, and so uh, you experienced some opposition. Before we get into that, though, you talked about the permitting process. Yeah. Can you can you touch on that because uh, you know it's, it, to get these projects off the ground, okay, can be you know extremely time consuming. Touch on that if you would. Well, it's it's for any project, whether we're talking about a pipeline project or a mining project or ironically, um, a clean energy project. Um, permitting process are taking way too long. There's no clear standards or guidelines in place. Um, and so, you know, for example, one of the issues that we're running into in northeastern Minnesota, and this is an issue, especially in the mining industry across the country, is that there's a proposed copper nickel mining project called the North Bend Project in northeastern Minnesota. Um, it's been in the permitting process for over 18 years. So we have a we have a generation of kids that have grown up learning about a mining project that they've never even seen a shovel put in the ground. Um, you look at another mining project in Idaho, Perpetual Resources Proposed Stibnite Gold Project. I believe they've been in the permitting process for over for over 10 years now. Um, but then when you look to our allies, like Australia or Canada, when they're permitting a new mine, it on average, it takes them roughly three to five years. Well, if we're negotiating or if the current administration is negotiating trade deals for their critical minerals or metals that are valuable to battery metal supply chains, then obviously you think their permitting standards are good enough. So let's, you know, let's, um, you know, let's, let's modernize our permitting process today. And I think we're starting to see a little bit more support uh, from the administration on that subject. And I think what's bringing both sides together, because obviously historically permitting reform has been a Republican talking point. Um, but now we're seeing more on the other side of the aisle starting to understand that we do need permit reform because the clean energy projects that they're trying to get through aren't getting permitted either. Right. And, and, and and with the debt ceiling bill, um, there was some permitting reform. Yes. In that. And, and so uh, obviously we're hoping to make uh, you know, we're, we're hoping to make some progress there. Uh, it hasn't worked so far. OK. You know, they've been able to shut projects down, uh, you know, still. And so uh, must be very um uh, you know, that, that, that process much dis, must discourage a lot of energy companies from even getting in, you know, involved in some projects. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, it's, um, we're seeing in Minnesota and we're seeing it in other parts of the country where, um, you know, I, I would argue that this permitting process isn't promoting good business um, in, in the states. And, and when you talk about the debt ceiling bill and, and other bills, one thing I, I always like to mention too is, 
you know, senators like Joe Manchin have been very consistent on this issue. And and are, and I would argue he's been nothing short of a stud in trying to get um, good permitting reform uh, inserted in those bills. And so having said that, you experienced some opposition on the line three um, project. Uh, where did that come from? Well, I, well, and I think this is pretty common in every state, um, but we're seeing a lot of urban versus rural communities, if you will. I don't want to say versus if, as if there's a competition or any resentment, but um, oftentimes when you see these opposition groups, they're funded by communities in urban areas. Like, so here in Minnesota, we have the Twin Cities, we got Duluth, Rochester, Mankato, um, that are more populated areas. And oftentimes that's where the money's coming from, from these opposition groups. And, uh, you know, and then you have rural communities that understand the benefits of what these projects uh, mean to their, uh, to the communities and, and to their families. And so, um, what we've noticed is that a lot of times these reps are either are are from from urban areas or even from outside the country. I mean, when Line Two was going through the permitting process, Jane Fonda from California was coming out talking about why you know we don't need the pipeline, how we need to transition to green energy technologies. But you know, as we we're talking about earlier, and, and some of the points that you made earlier, that's not going to happen overnight. You know, if we're going to get to a, a net zero carbon economy, and that's the whole point. In other words. You know, you get these people coming from out of state. We all care about the environment, obviously. Okay. And we understand that the community should have a say. No, nobody's trying to push that away or, or, or anything like that. Um, but real, you know, education uh, and awareness on realities and working together with our uh, traditional energy resources and our renewables. And you get, uh, you know, those, in, by the way, with PES refinery here in, in Philly, okay, they were coming from out of state also. We had a, a very safe situation, okay? I mean, the priority was safety, okay, and emissions and everything. And the, the, the noise was coming from outside our communities. They shut the damn thing down, okay? Well, you know, well, now we're importing the same products, uh, you know, from out of the country now that we were creating here with a great job base, great economy, all those things. Um, and it, it just, it's, it's a... Uh, you know, it puts you in the twilight zone. And so being able to educate people on those details is so vital. Okay. Cause people come down and they just talk about, we can ju just shut the switch, turn the switch off and go right to renewables. We can't do it. And, but it, so, uh, it, and, and not only can't we do it, 5,000 products we use every day are comprised of fossil fuels um, and affiliated products. So having said that, and that's, and we well, to add your point, you're probably you're the finery is probably making those products cleaner anyway than than from exactly. <laughs> I mean, our standards here in the United States that we hold to our energy sector far exceed those of those overseas, and and so uh, and so we you know and you you know we're going to talk about this for you know until we get the narrative changed and impacted regular folks like myself and 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 a lot of the union people and their families and neighborhood people. They don't get these details. They just think that, you know, we're the big bad wolf and we just care about jobs. We care about jobs, the environment, and the entire process. Having said that, okay, um, that project, the Line 3 project is now complete. Um, from an advocacy, advocacy perspective, what are some of the lessons that were learned from that project in terms of actions your, organiz your organization and other organizations took to secure the public uh, and policymakers support needed to get across the goal line. 
Well, you know, from, from my end, you know, it was both us, it was both an organization called, you know, called Minnesotans for Line 3 and uh, another one called Better in Our Backyard. And then we had another uh, group called Jobs for Minnesotans in the area help support the project. And one thing that I, you know, and all of us worked well in tandem, but one thing I think there's always room for is better education, more education, more consistent messaging. I know when we were promoting the Line 3 replacement project, you know, I try to make sure that we had three or four pieces of content going, content, uh, going out each and every week. Uh, for the project so it stayed consistent uh, in folks' minds on what you know this project would mean for communities but then also statistical benefits so if line three doesn't come through you know how many rail cars are going to be going to be used instead of pipelines or how many trucks do we have to use to ship that crude oil from edmonton to superior wisconsin and is that safer for the environment so those type of things so to, to answer your question to, to keep it short is i think there's always room for improvement on the educational aspect and I'm assuming a lot of communication with the community and you know, obviously Q&As and, and, and uh, you know, tutorials that, that made the community comfortable. I, I certainly, um, you know, it's fascinating to me, uh, you know, at, at, at that process. Um, you guys are, are uh, supporting some mine, uh, mining projects, specifically two that are in Minnesota. Talk about those projects. What are they? What minerals would they produce and what are those minerals used for? Well, the, the two key projects is uh, New Range Copper Nickels North Bay Project, formerly known as uh, Polymet, and then Twin Metals Minnesota out of Ely. And both of them are uh, targeting uh, copper and nickel and, and Twin is a little bit bigger than, uh, than the North Bay Project. Um, so like the North Bay Project, for example, once that's up and running, it will supplement nearly a thousand jobs when you include the spinoff aspect of it. Uh, per year. And then Twin Metals, Minnesota would be roughly 2,200 jobs per year that be created. And the average mining wage in Minnesota pays in excess of 90,000 a year. Um, and the minerals that they would be targeting is copper, nickel, cobalt, and platinum group metals, both of the projects, because both of them reside in uh, what we call the Duluth Complex, which is located in northeastern Minnesota. And the Duluth Complex, uh, you know, it's estimated to hold roughly a third of the U.S. copper reserves. 88% of our cobalt reserves. However, that number is starting to go down a little bit as they discover more cobalt in other states like Idaho, for example, and 95% of U.S. nickel reserves. And the other 5% of U.S. nickel reserves is actually currently being mined by Michigan's Eagle Mine in the UP of Michigan. So once they run out of ore, which is estimated to happen around 2027, 2028, Minnesota is literally the nation's last stand in terms of having significant uh, nickel resources. And when you, when you think of nickel, uh, think of EV batteries. When you think of copper, you know, uh, think of uh, wind turbines. And historically, too, what's interesting about some of these projects is that they're located on what Minnesota calls the Iron Range. And we've been mining iron ore for over 140 years. And and iron ore is essential in our steel making. And so to add to that, we still even hold 95, 90%, excuse me, um, of U.S. iron ore reserves. So we have a really rich mining history and we're looking to add into our portfolio, if you will, by having uh, copper nickel mining the area with twin metals and, and new range copper nickel. Now, if we weren't doing that here in the United States, where would we be importing these uh, products from? A lot of it, especially on the cobalt issue, is coming from China. So right now, um, it's estimated that the Democratic Republic of Congo holds roughly 76% or, or actually produces 76% of the world supply of cobalt, but the refining capacity is within China. So if we're going to get our cobalt, and cobalt is, um, is needed in our EV batteries, we would have to buy it 
uh, from China. So when we talk about increasing cobalt production in the U.S., we only have one operating cobalt mine, uh, which is Idaho Cobalt Operations um, out of Idaho. We, we still have to talk about the refining part of it, too. So we need a it's a two prong approach. We need to increase our refining capacity of cobalt here in the U.S., um, but we also need to bring more domestic mining operations of cobalt here in the U.S. as well. Now, having said that, the emissions process and, 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 and the environment doesn't just hover over the United States. Right. I mean, it, you know, it's a it's, you know, our whole planet. OK, yes. let's talk about our standards compared to the Congo. And I'm sure you've seen Siddharth Kaira's video of the child labor, uh, you know, mining there and what's going on uh, over there in the Congo where they where, where the kids are mining for the cobalt and the critical minerals needed for the EV batteries, our computers, uh, you know, our, our, uh, our phones and all those things. Talk about the standards that we maintain here in the United States. Well, for one, we wouldn't have any child labor issues in the U.S. And, and that obviously and, and then also, too, we argue that our environmental standards um, are, are the best in the world. Um, and in northeastern Minnesota specifically, we're somewhat I, I, would, I don't want to call it a bubble, but, um, you know, Twin Metals and New Range Copper Nickel both have PLA agreements to build their mines, which a PLA, as you know, Joe, means that it's going to be using, utilizing all union labor to construct the mine. So I not only project it, labor agreements for people who don't know what a PLA is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and they're and uh, they're quite common in northeastern Minnesota, which uh, is a good thing. We argue that we have some of the best workforce in the country. Um, but to add to that, I mean, it's you know, like the the respect to the worker and worker rights is is second to none in this area as well. And I would say I would argue across the country, obviously especially when you compare, uh, compare us to Congo. Yeah, we were fortunate enough to have Siddharth on this program, and we went through that whole process. I was personally wondering how those minerals get into the United States and through middle middlemen type of companies, okay? It's just, it's ridiculous, no question about it. Um, let's, let's, you know, look at, you know, when, 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 when we talk about those types of situations, okay, and... Uh, it's, it's important for individuals to know that we don't run out of the need for them. Those products are products that we use every day. And, if, and, and talk about, you know, what we deal with, you know, in, in, regard, you know, in regards to those mining projects and the commitment we have here in the United States, particularly in Minnesota, on those mining projects in regards to safety job safety, worker safety, and, you know, like you mentioned, the environmental uh, standards compared to overseas? Well, I can't, I can't really comment specifically on what they're doing overseas in terms of their safety standards, but I think anytime you have a company agree to a PLA agreement, I would argue that a lot of times it's union building trades that really set the standard uh, for job site safety. So I think right there is kind of a, a really good, um, I would say, preview of what um, there's what the company standard is, if you will, for, for safety on site. Um, and then also to, you know, like whether, or even with Enbridge or in other companies that, uh, that we work with, you know, you, you go, you walk on a job site and they say, you know, X number of days since our last safety incident. Um, I don't know if you're getting that in third world countries. Um, so I think, you know, whenever you walk into a company, um, and, and they have that sign up uh, on construction and they're making sure you're wearing your hard hat, they're making sure you're wearing your, 
uh, protection for eyewear and for your hands, I think really just shows right there what the standard is for safety. And especially when you walk on a job site that is in the middle of construction and the floors are swept off and they're clean, just those little things that are becoming more and more uh, relevant today. And and let me just, you know, make this very clear. And then in this, we got, we're leaving some stuff on the table here, but um, anybody who doesn't understand, you know, just because somebody opposes a project in, in the United States, doesn't mean we don't need these, these minerals, okay? Uh, talk about what happens if we shut ourselves down, Ryan, and, uh, and, and, and what the United States has to do uh, if we were to shut down two projects like that, uh, that are uh, you know, obviously very efficient products, uh, you know, in, in, in both an environmental process, uh, you know, uh, in, in regards to environmentally and in, in worker uh, efficiency. Well, it's 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 three negative things. Uh, number one, we're we're increasing our reliance on countries that don't like us, so adversarial nations like China and Russia. And then two, if we're not reliant on them, then we're probably going to be reliant on countries like Indonesia or cobalt for, say, nickel in Indonesia or cobalt in the Democratic Republic of Congo that don't have the same labor or environmental standards as we do. As you mentioned before, you know, we live in a global environment. So how does that help the global environment? And the third thing is, too, I'd argue is that, you know, um, I think it's good to have trade with with Canada and Australia. But if then if we become increasingly more reliant on them, then we're just exporting our jobs to their countries and our wealth to their countries. So, you know, to me, it's it's not a it's just kind of a lose lose uh, proposition. And and so I would argue that we need to um, put our focus on strengthening mineral supply chains here at home and, and, and creating energy dominance again in the oil and gas sector and then looking to our allies to strengthen critical mineral supply chains or battery metal supply chains. Common sense and energy. Ryan insisted. Uh, executive director at Better in Our Backyard. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Can't wait. We just, the tip of the iceberg. Can't wait to have you on the broadcast again. Also, I'm going to be going to your hairdresser. I'm going to, we'll, we'll get on a call after the show. We appreciate your time, my friend. I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Our pleasure. More after the break. What's a boilermaker? We're the skilled welders, riggers, and craftspeople who will help you grow your competitive edge. We step up when others step back, and we do the job right, on time, on budget, and safely. No drama, just results every time. We're the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and everything we do begins with our bond. Let's get to work together. Visit bestintrade.com. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Today's program is pre-recorded. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the Labor Union Community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Labor and Energy Show on the Jacob Media Network. I want to thank our, our, our previous guest, Ryan Sisted of Executive 
who's the executive director of Better in Our Backyard. Awesome segment. Uh, you, you know, we talk about having, our, uh, you know, the um, who's who in, in, in the labor and energy commu- community and leadership. And I'm ecstatic to bring into the program Peter Holren, uh, Director of Government Relations U.S. at Enbridge Energy. Peter, how are you, sir? Welcome to the broadcast. I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you for having me on. And it's good to be back in Philly. Grew up just outside. So Really? Where? where, uh, where is- Over in Lancaster, but I uh, spent a lot of time in Philly. So it's how about that? Well, it's great to have you back in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so so uh, today's segment is, is all about the Line 5 pipeline and the, the Line 5 pipeline replacement project. Um, and its benefit and and the challenges. Um, Peter, if you would, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and Enbridge. Yeah, so first about Enbridge, uh, you know, what I head up is uh, government relations in the U.S. for Enbridge. And what is uh, not known is, you know, a lot of people think of us as just a pipeline company, but we have assets, energy assets in 40 states across the United States, all up and down the eastern seaboard, across the Midwest, down along the the, the Gulf uh, Coast, and all, you know, out into Wyoming, Montana, uh, et cetera. Um, we, we move about 30% of all the crude oil that moves in the United States on our pipelines. We move approximately 25% of all the natural gas that moves through uh, the the United States. And that's not to mention that we also operate one of the largest gas distribution um, uh, companies in North America, uh, mainly up in Ontario, but it it serves uh, close to 4 million people with natural gas coming into their homes. And lastly, uh, Enbridge has under management more than $8 billion worth of renewable energy. Uh, generation. We're, we're generating or have contracts to generate close to 1.8 gigawatts of uh, power uh, every day. And that's enough power to uh, to uh, provide the energy that's needed, the electricity that's needed for 900,000 homes. And so we are a company that, yes, we move oil and gas. Uh, that is essential for our economies right now. But we're also looking to the future and looking to that, uh, what does the energy mix for the future look like? And And on the Labor and Energy Show here, and our, our nonprofit, uh, Advocacy United Energy Education and yep. Awareness Council, that's, you know, we, our whole, uh, uh, you know, the whole objective is common sense and energy and working together with our traditional energy, uh, you know, sector and our renewable sector to create solutions for the future in the United States and across the land. Okay. Unfortunately, we're, you know, we fight an element that thinks you can just, you know, you know, shot it. You know, quick a switch and and transition, and therefore, obviously, we put ourselves in a hell of a pickle. Um, if you would, you know, so we're going to talk a little bit about line five. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we, we've covered it before, primarily from a, a Michigan and Ohio standpoint. But can you refresh our listeners uh, on what line five is? Yeah, Line 5 is just one of the many pipelines that we operate in North America and across the United States. It originates in uh, Superior, Wisconsin, and it takes uh, light crude, synthetic crude, and also natural gas liquids, which is the the foundation for basically propane, um, from uh, Superior, Wisconsin, all the way across the upper peninsula of Michigan, and then down through Michigan, where it uh, terminates in Sarnia, Ontario. 
Uh, during its travel, it's serving uh, 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 10 refineries with either those oil products or with the propane products. And so it's providing energy to Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania, Ontario, and Quebec. Um, 540,000 barrels a day move on this pipeline. That's a lot of oil. And to put it into the context, we, we understand, uh, and your show has uh, touched on it, you know, what happened when, uh, when Ukraine was invaded and the Russian oil was shut down. The pipe, main pipeline that was shut down for crude oil carried about 500,000 barrels of oil. And we saw what that did to the world market. We have a pipeline that just runs from Sarnia or from uh, Superior, Wisconsin to Sarnia, um, uh, Ontario, as I said, serving 10 refineries, 540,000 barrels. And we have some government agencies, government individuals trying to shut it down. It just doesn't make any sense, Joe. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Well, first of all, let me, you know, not, you know, this is not, uh, you know, I want to just get this out of the way. It's a priority. But talk about, um, Enbridge's uh, commitment to, uh, you know, the high standards of, of, of doing business, both environmentally and, and, and safety-wise, um, on all your projects. Yeah, no, it, it, Joe, you know, Enbridge had a, a, a very bad incident uh, now uh, 13 years ago in Marshall, Michigan. It changed the culture of our, uh, our company, and we hope that uh, our changes are changing the culture of the industry. Uh, safety is now number one priority. We heard uh, Ryan talk about that earlier, but it absolutely is. Every employee at Enbridge is given a piece of metal, a ring made out of the metal of the pipeline that was uh, that broke in, in Marshall, Michigan and was finally replaced. And we have those on our desks as a reminder of that we will never have that day happen again. Uh, we want to make sure that the pipelines are operating safely, but also that we're working with conservation groups and environmentalists on how we can continue to protect the environment. We, we had, um, you know, when we, we obviously with the Marcel Michel here in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. uh, the initial standards, um, there were mistakes made years ago. And um, those mistakes in environmental situations were are acknowledged and and remedied at the highest standard. OK, and, and so um, that's to me what's important. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, you know, remembering those incidences and, and the history is vitally important to making sure they don't happen again. OK, but it's so important to acknowledge the progress that has been made, uh, you know, so we can you know, uh, blaze a, a path into the future. What are some of the, um, the challenges that you are facing um, with, the, with the line five replacement project? Yeah, so, you know, two, two challenges that we have. The first came actually from the government of Michigan. And, and uh, you know, the governor, Governor Whitmer, when she was first elected, uh, said that it would be a priority to, to, to look at the safety of Line 5 as it crosses the Great Lakes and uh, attempt to shut it down. Her, the attorney general in uh, Michigan, uh, Dana Nessel, has taken it as a crusade, so to speak, uh, to try to, to shut down the pipeline. Again, there is there's nothing that's uh, there are no safety concerns uh, of of line five. Uh, line five is one of the safest pipelines has been operating for uh, you know more than 60 years now. It is one of the most uh, uh, monitored pipelines that we have. We run internal and external inspections of the pipeline on, on a regular basis, even more frequently than we are required by our federal regulator or even our state regulators. Um, so we know the pipeline is safe. 
but they are still trying to shut it down. And it, right now, it's really a lawsuit from the attorney general that is uh, being pursued that is a threat to the pipeline. Um, we feel we're going to prevail. It's in federal court. We've been successful in, in all of the pretrial motions that have been taking place. Um, right now, the attorney general is trying to move that case back to state court, which she believes would be a more favorable place for, for her lawsuit. Um, and we'll continue to defend them. How many of our uh, political leaders, policymakers, um, this, this shows about common sense and energy and educating individuals, okay? Um, how many of our, uh, and, and by the way, a lot of that is the general public, okay? Because we, and I consider myself a, a dinner table, uh, a, a kitchen table environmentalist like everybody else. Everybody cares about the environment, so we don't take it lightly. Having said that, understood nothing about the realities of, 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 of things and the importance of uh, working together on these things. But how many of our political leaders, our policymakers are, are, are prioritizing votes over really just educating themselves? How many of them don't really understand, uh, you know, these issues and are just catering to, uh, you know, special interest groups and, you know, you know, to get votes um, on, you know, it, instead of understanding the knowledge and, and the education of what they're actually doing. Yeah, Joe, it's a great point, and it's an effort that Enbridge and a lot of energy companies are attempting to do, and, and programs like yours are vital uh, to, to getting that message out about, you know, where does energy come from? Um, I lecture a lot uh, in my job, is, and I talk to a lot of government officials, and it, it's astounding how many, especially young people, believe that you just go over to the light switch, you, you turn it on, and the lights go on. And they have no idea where that electricity came from. Absolutely. Or if you pull into your local gas station, you take the pump out, you put it in your car, and you get gasoline. But where did it come from? And not to mention, as you mentioned earlier in your segment, the you know, hundreds of products that we get from, from, uh, from hydrocarbons and, and from petroleum products. Um, it, there's just a lack of knowledge of uh, where our supply chains are and, and what they mean. Um, interestingly enough, we do a lot of, uh, Enbridge has done a lot of polling in Michigan and Wisconsin, the upper Midwest. There is 70% of all Michiganders support the solutions that Enbridge has put forward to keep the pipeline operating, to keep it safe, protect the Great Lakes. You know, we propose building a tunnel under the Great Lakes um, that uh, will you know, remove the oil, remove the pipeline from the water, put it safely in the bedrock below the, the Great Lakes and move forward. Seventy percent of Michiganders support that. And when we talk to a lot of our elected officials, they're starting to understand it. I think there is support there for that type of solution, creative ideas. And, and it's so important because, by the way, it's not really difficult to educate the public, okay, on these issues. They just don't hear them enough. Make no mistake about it. We all care about the environment. We don't take it lightly. But one of the most confusing things is we have the highest uh, environmental standards when it comes to our energy sector on the planet. And we're willing to shut ourselves down and do business and import products from our sworn enemies, whether they're our sworn enemies or not. The fact of the matter is, is that overseas, their environmental standards and their work standards uh, and their work efficiency is nowhere near what ours is. So we shut them down, we shut ourselves down, and then we import the same products. And we need, we need to, to, to get the general public and our political leaders 
to understand, because by the way, I was educated, um, just like I hope our listeners are getting educated, that, um, you know, you need both environment. A lot of our labor leaders, you know, labor communities in the, in the energy sector. It's not just about jobs. It's about the environment and, and, and energy security for not just us, but the whole world. One of the things I wanted to touch base on is the Bad River Band. It, uh, you know, it, it, what has been uh, their objection to the current portion of the Line 5 that has passed either through or near their reservation? And for people that don't understand the Bad River Band is a federally recognized tribe in Wisconsin. Um, what's the situation there? I'm back, Joe. I lost you there for a second, but I think you were asking about the Bad River Band. Right. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge that we're having, uh, and we've been trying to work with the, the, the leaders of the Bad River Reservation for a number of years. A pipeline, uh, Line 5, when it originates out of uh, Superior, Wisconsin, does go across the reservation for some 40 miles uh, or so. Um, we have easements to, to, that were negotiated years ago to operate on uh, parcels of land across the uh, reservation. And uh, unfortunately, we were unable to renew those easements on 12 parcels, 12 individual parcels. And because of that, the, the, the Bad River Band has said that we are in trespass and took us to federal court to remove our pipelines from their reservation. Uh, just recently, a federal judge out in Wisconsin has ruled that we are in trespass um, and that we do need to remove the pipeline within three years. Now, Enbridge has uh, will challenge. We don't believe that uh, uh, that the, the ruling was uh, fully accurate and, and we are planning to appeal. But we also three years ago started a project to relocate the pipeline around the reservation. Uh, to listen to the reservation leaders, the Bad River leaders, and say, okay, you know, we'll get we'll get the pipeline off of your reservation. Um, that is held up. You were talking earlier with Ryan about permitting. You know, three years ago we proposed this uh, this project. Uh, it's not a big project um, in relative terms. It's you know, it's less than a hundred miles, and yet uh, we're still waiting for state permits. We're still waiting for federal permits. And ironically, the Bad River Band is actually opposing the relocation project. And so what they are actually have said and have been very clear about it, they just want the pipeline shut down. They want to impact millions of people across the upper Midwest, as we discussed, by the shutdown of the pipeline. We understand, we are listening, we want to do what's right by the Bad River Band, but we also have to do right by the tens of millions of people that depend on that pipeline every day for energy. And the project is, is a replacement project, right? In other words, you're making it more efficient. Now, look, I agree with you, um, you know, they, they clearly should be respected and, and uh, you know, and certainly, um, you know, that's a fact, but you're, doing replacement work to make it more efficient, correct? Yeah, what we would be doing is replacing the 40 miles of pipeline that goes across the Bad River Reservation with a relocation project that will be just to the south of the reservation. And there are some issues about the watershed that we're in, and but uh, you know today's technologies and the and the labor that we we enjoy in this country, we you know, whether it's the pipe fitters or the laborers, the operating engineers, tight teamsters. I just named all the the pipe trades that we work with every day, 
that pipe is going to be to state of the art, you know, the 21st century standards, and it's going to be safe. Um, and so, you know, we believe that this is the right solution to honor what the what the Bad River Band is asking and to continue to supply the energy that is needed for tens of millions of people across the upper Midwest and eastern Canada. When you when you uh, we talk a little bit about the permitting and, and obviously the debt ceiling bill and all those things, we only have a couple minutes left. But tell me how those communications, I mean, when you, when you have those conversations with the Bad River Band and their leadership, um, what is that environment like speaking, you know, in, you know no pun intended, um, what, is, what is that um, dialogue like? Is there any, uh, are, are people listening to what you're, you're, you're saying in regards to all their concerns? Well, you know, we certainly uh, would be hopeful for a negotiated settlement on this. We don't want a court deciding what's going to happen in the at the end. Um, and we believe there is a, a, a solution that can be uh, garnered between the two parties, between Enbridge and the Bad River Band, and we're willing to continue to talk uh, with the leadership of the band and with the people of Bad River uh, if they if they so choose. Uh, it, it has been frustrating, Joe. Uh, you know, we have proposed uh, many solutions. Uh, we're dealing with an erosion issue on the on the Bad River itself that we need to address to keep the pipeline safe uh, and, and operating. Um, and the Bad River Band has uh, you know has chosen not to allow us to to address those erosion issues, and yet they call it out as a safety concern. So it's a little bit of that challenge that we're facing right now. But we're going to stay at it. We're committed to uh, not only protecting the environment, uh, respecting the the wishes of the Bad River uh, tribe or band, and also providing the energy that's necessary. Peter, uh, we're, we we have about thirty seconds left. What what can listeners do, uh, you know, to get engaged in in that situation in regards to support, um, you know, the process, and, and again, respecting the Bad River band. Um, but what 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 can listeners do who are listening to the broadcast and want to help? Yeah, it just it's a basic thing, Joe. It's a national issue. Um, as we said, you know, shutting down one pipeline strains the whole system. It's going to have impacts. We saw that on the East Coast when the Colonial Pipeline was uh, hit with a cyber attack a couple years ago and gasoline was at a shortage all through our region and up into Philadelphia. Um, that's the impacts that we're going to have across the country. You know, there is going to be markets will adjust. It's a matter of how long and at what cost. And so people need to get themselves educated. They need to talk to their elected officials. They need to say, hey, we need all of the above. We need to protect the environment. We need to you know, push the transition to renewables and low carbon energy. But we also need fossil fuels today to keep our economies going. We can't have pipelines shut down uh, for the for you know for reasons such as what the Bad River is saying, there are solutions that can you know, you know we we talk about the power of and let's look for solutions that talk about and we can protect the environment and provide energy. Uh, Peter Holran, Director of Governmental Relations, U.S. at Enbridge Energy, really appreciate your time. The answer is education. That's what people can do. They can listen, educate themselves, and come up with a positive solution. I love that, the power of and. Appreciate your time, sir. Look forward to having you back on. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. It's our pleasure. We'll have more from the Labor and Energy Show 
in just a minute. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. The Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EASCarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters. Can you afford a brand new electric car or a charging station for your home? Want to spend your days waiting in line at a public charging station? Well, buckle up. Delaware and New Jersey are planning to ban the sale of gas-powered cars by 2035. Most drivers can't afford it, don't need it, and don't want it. Tell Governor Carney and Governor Murphy to stop the EV mandate and let drivers decide. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And back here on the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. We just posted up on our podcast page um, our program from last week, J. Doc, which was a terrific show. We'll put this week's broadcast uh, up on our podcast page. Just search Labor and Energy on Apple or Spotify, and you'll be able to educate yourself. Good conversation with both guests today. Love the way Peter ended his segment uh, Jay Doc, you know, so many times, and I've said this to you in our post-show conversation, so many times I find myself, because I'm a listener when the interview segments are going on, so I'm consuming the conversation as if it were happening in real time in somebody's living room or somebody's car or on somebody's YouTube screen, and I want to jump through the screen because I still can't find the common sense right. in some of these fights that are being played out. And the conversation with Peter today was a perfect example of that on the pipeline. You know, it's amazing, Joe, these companies. Okay. And like Peter said, they had a, a terrible incident years ago. And so they take nothing lightly uh, out of our energy sector um, organizations and companies. And so um, they want to be a part of the solution. We absolutely need to work together. We can't just switch the, you know, you know, push a switch and, 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 and switch the renewables overnight. Uh, like we said before, many times we, you know, Hey, um, and a lot of our, you know, there's no, but I can tell you this right now, since we started this broadcast show, um, a lot, and I've been surprised and educated just like you to find that a lot of our energy sector leaders are the most environmental people, uh, and, and, uh, looking for solutions to work together. But it seems like there's a common denominator, um, that everybody's facing, is, and that is a far extreme element that wants to just push a button, shut us all down, and that's just not a, it's not a realistic approach. It's, it's not, and so uh, it was a pleasure to have Peter Holren on the program, and 
and Ryan Sistad. Uh, Peter, again, is the Director of Governmental Relations U.S. at Enbridge Energy. And of course, Ryan Sistad, Executive Director, Better in Our Backyard. Uh, great conversation. And of course, again, I want to, uh, you know, welcome, uh, you know, Chet Thompson of, of the AFPM onto the uh, Energy Education and Awareness Council board. Uh, yeah, we've got a, a, a great group of leaders and our labor leaders as well, obviously, working hard to do everything we can to, to, to make sure that our country enjoys energy security, our environment uh, is, is low carbon, and the world has access uh, to these products. So it's uh, yeah, yeah, good stuff, really good stuff as we steamroll through the uh, month of uh, August and get ready to transition into what will be a very exciting uh, and very energized, pardon the pun, uh, fall here on the Labor and Energy Show. Um, we thank everybody for tuning in. Again, a reminder, um, download this, today's show or any of the previous programs uh, on your favorite destination for a podcast. Just search the Labor and Energy Show, and you'll be able to listen in and get educated as I do uh, every week. Great stuff from you, Jay Doc. Again, special thanks to all of our guests and, of course, uh, all of our listeners and viewers across the Jacob Media Network. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded.